period of time and singing with them. Um, and so I'm all fogged up there, and so excuse me for a moment. As, there we go, very good. Um, we're continuing on in our following King Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you remember before Advent, uh, we were doing that. It's going to take us some time to get through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we wanted to go back to the basics. We said that it's time to go back to the beginning, back to the basics. Let's follow Jesus uh, in this first gospel. is believed to be the first gospel that was written. There is this aspect of urgency and immediately. And we see that in this gospel of Mark, the name Mark, right? He named after a good person there. And uh, so we want to we wanna look at what does it look like for us to follow King Jesus. And that's important now as we're in 2021, this new year. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because Pastor Mike said this message was the next one to follow after the third week in November. This was the new one to preach. And it is quite interesting how God, you know, sometimes people say, well, why do you preach through series? We preach through series because it challenges us as pastors. Because sometimes I can go and pick all my favorite passages. <laughs> When you, when you travel through a series, you're kind of given the text, and then you have to really pray and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me and saying to the church today? And it's a good discipline, but it's just interesting, and I've seen it over the years as we have put series together, how God is in control and picks and places things where they should be. And it's interesting, as Pastor Mike said, that a lot of churches today are preaching about what happened this week in the news. That was not our intention. We're following the Gospel of Mark that happens to deal with crowds that we just saw in the news this week. That's how God puts it together. And so we backed up a verse, if you notice, chapter 6, and really it was supposed to be 7 to 12, but verse 6 was one that was the end of Pastor Mike's uh, sermon there back in November, and we'll see later why we did that, and we went back a verse so we could see. But here's a question for you. Are you ready for a DTR? See, I'm not with the young crowd, so I don't know even what that means, but apparently it's out there and it means something. Ah, look, he, really, he knows that. We never did this, dear, but apparently you're supposed to. DTR. So DTR means, well, I guess we don't have turn it on. DTR means it's time to define the relationship. So the reality of this is that a couple now that are in relationship meet up somewhere and they sit down and they sit down for their DTR. And the DTR is it's time to define our relationship. Is it serious? Are we dating? Are we a couple? And so this is a DTR. And I think at the beginning of a new year, 2021, Jesus wants to sit down with us and say it's time for a DTR. It's time to define our relationship. Is it serious? What exactly is your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? See, ultimately, that is something that only you and him, we can see your commitment, involvement, but that commitment to Jesus Christ, where your relationship is with Jesus, only he and you can sit down and have that moment to discuss it. And some of you say, well, Pastor, of course, I'm a follower of Christ. Of course I'm committed. And here are some of the ways that somebody put up the indicators. Well, I go to church. Uh, I raise my hand at the end of a sermon. I walk forward during a 12-minute 
hundred religious views on my Facebook page. I've put Christian. <laughs> you dodged Harry Potter, beloved Lord of the Rings. You led a purpose-driven life in 40 days. You say, bless their heart, before you say something bad about something. <laughs> kind of comical, kind of stretching the point a bit, but, but the truth of it is in these comments, what is that? That's a Christian subculture. And some of us can go through the motions, some of us have been around Christianese long enough that we can pretend that we are a committed follower to Jesus Christ. We can be all part of this culture that we've been around. We can be a fan, but the question this morning is, are we a follower of Jesus Christ? You see, the Gospel of Mark, all throughout, especially these beginning chapters, is presenting to you, who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is this Jesus? And more importantly, he wants you to come to a place where you say, who Jesus is to you? It's not just not enough to know who Jesus is, but Mark is wanting you to make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. Coming to a conclusion in your own heart and life, this is who Jesus is, and this is who he is to me. And so our passage we heard read today, Sandra, thank you, we hear several responses to Jesus. And Mark will continue to do this throughout this chapter and the chapters ahead. But we see three responses in particular. One of the responses is why we went back to verse 6. The first response we see are from those religious leaders from Jerusalem. And we see, we're told in verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we see that their response was to reject him and his message. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and not just rejecting him, but now they, now this is the religious leaders of Jerusalem, I have a hard time putting my mind around this, but they now are plotting how they might kill Jesus. Matthew 12 tells us that this was the reason it's a tactical move, that Jesus now moves from Jerusalem, the city he loved, the city he wept over, and he now goes out to the Sea of Galilee because of the fact of that they are coming to take his life. They're plotting to take his life. And we see throughout scriptures it will say it was not his time yet. And so he moves out to the uh, place away from the city in order to continue his ministry. The second response I want us to look at is actually the end of our passage. And we see that all throughout Mark he'll tell you about the on those possessed by an unclean spirit. What do they do? The demons, he, they fall at his feet. And they shout. They know who he is. He's the son of God. And we see this at the end of the passage, verses 11 and 12. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell at his feet and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he gave them the strict instructions not to make him known to anyone. So why is it that, that he tells them to be quiet? I like what somebody says, that demons can never be agents of revelation. Demons can never be God's witnesses. And so although they know that he is all authority and they know that he is king and they bow at his feet and they pronounce he is the son of God, he says to them to be quiet. 
because they cannot be the ones who bring the revelation of who Jesus is. They cannot be his witnesses. And so, you know, one of the powerful things that some of the things I've been reading this week said, it shows us there, once again, that Jesus has all authority over evil, all authority over demons. And for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear. Amen. So he must remain incognito as the passage moves on. So the one I want us to really look at today and spend some time, because I don't think we're religious leaders from Jerusalem, and we're not people filled with unclean spirits, but I do believe we can fit into this place of the crowd if we're not careful. And I believe this is where we, we confine it ourselves. We heard it read in verse 7 there, Jesus withdrew to the lakeside with his disciples, and a huge number of people followed him from Galilee, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Indonesia, and beyond the Jordan, and the neighborhood of Tyre and Sidon, a huge, a huge number, having heard what he was doing, came to him. And because of the crowd, he asked his disciples to have a boat ready for him, lest they would crush him. For he had healed many people, so that all those who had diseases crowded in on him in order to touch him. We see in this passage now Jesus has become popular. Popularity, right? A great crowd has gathered. So much so that Mark is trying to show us this is a greater crowd than John the Baptist had gathered. Because this crowd now is not just not from Galilee, but it's from Judea and Jerusalem and from Mundania and Transjordan on the other side of the Jordan and from the pagan region of Tyre and Sidon. So there is a great throng of people. This looks good. Everyone would say, wow, Jesus and what he's doing is becoming very, very popular. If anyone is into numbers, they would say, wow, right now. I want to challenge you that we need to be very careful as the Church of Jesus Christ. That just because we see a great crowd, just we see, because we see a great throng, just because you see great numbers, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily what God would want or that that group is moving in the spirit of God. Although Judaism has rejected Jesus, it seems like the whole of Israel, the whole world, is following him. But Jesus and crowds had a very unhappy marriage. <laughs> Although his popularity was growing, Jesus didn't value crowds. You'll see that in the Gospels. He spoke to crowds, but he never valued crowds. You know who he valued? Individuals in the crowd. People in the crowd. I mean, I'm sure Jesus could have spoke over a crowd and said, all be healed. And yet we never see him do that. He has encounters with people individually because Jesus cares for the person. Jesus cares for the heart. Jesus cares for the soul. And so he has these encounters with people individually. So I want to challenge us as a church. Let's not have a crowd mindset, a crowd mentality. Because you see a crowd gathering here or there, that you assume that's what Jesus would want. You know what? Crowds can be dangerous. We've heard lots of stories, but 95 people died in a crush at a soccer match in Sheffield, England in 1989. 95 people were crushed in the crowd for a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. They were all, they thought the game had started. They were all trying to get into the stadium and they saw a little bit of movement. And 
before you knew it, the whole crowd began to move and 95 people lost their lives. We see that a lot in stadiums, in places. It's not always negative. Somebody quite said it's not fear that you should drive crowds. It can be good things that can drive a crowd. John Frewen, in 1993, he wrote a paper about it, and he said that occupancies of seven persons per square meter, I mean, we know a lot about meters lately, don't we? Two meters apart. <laughs> the crowd becomes almost a fluid mass. Shock waves can be propagated through the mass sufficient to lift people off their feet and propel them 10 feet or more. People may literally be lifted out of their shoes and have clothing torn off. Intense crowd pressures exasperated by anxiety make it difficult to breathe. Some people die standing up in a crowd. Others die in a pileup as the crowd collapses and people go down. And so I want us to realize that crowds can be dangerous. It's something that we've seen in history and society. And, and the truth of it is, Mark is telling us now that Jesus, wherever he goes now, is a crowd. Wherever he goes, he can't even get outside the door of his home in Galilee. Wherever he goes, the ministry now is held back and he does not have the freedom to uh, minister to people like he had. We're even told that there are times that there's so much of a crowd they can't even eat. And so we see now the danger of the crowd. And I want to tell you something. There's always the tyranny of the urgent. Some of us in the church as pastors and leaders have learned this over the years, <clears throat> especially people working in Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, because people come in and they're the tyranny of the urgent. What is that? My needs. I am, I am struggling. I'm having a major issue. So you're supposed to stop what you're doing and you're supposed to come to my knee and you're supposed to jump when I say so. We begin to realize that even Jesus, when the sisters called for him, when the brother was dying, what did Jesus do? He waited. They got angry with him. See, that was the tyranny of the urgent. And yet he waited that the glory of God would be seen in that situation as Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so it's learning the rhythms. I love that statement. We say it a lot. The unforced rhythms of grace. There will always, for those that are working in compassionate ministries, when we were working with heroin addicts, when Pastor Mike was at the food bank in Toronto, there is always the tyranny of the urgent. There is always someone else who needs your help. There is something that you can never get a break and never stop because people are needy, and needy people need you to stop what you're doing and will constantly be at you. And there comes a place for all of us where we have to just stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me do? And what is a genuine need? And what is what somebody thinks they need? And so we see in this situation, in this crowd, the tyranny of the urgent. They're nameless, they're faceless. They act now as a single character, an unfolding drama of Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. And see, they have a magical view of healing. How do we know that? The actual original word says they weren't waiting now for Jesus to pass by. They weren't shouting out as Jesus walked by and you say, Son of God, have mercy on me. And everyone says, shut up, and they, he shouts all the louder. 
No, no, they are literally taking their bodies now and pushing it in towards Jesus. In the scripture, the actual original word says they're throwing themselves upon Jesus. So somehow they don't even wait for the master to come and speak to them individually and touch them. They think somehow if I just throw myself upon Jesus, magically something's going to happen and I'll get healed. Now that's a big difference in the woman who groveled through the crowd down in the dirt and touched the hem of his garment in faith. Nowhere here do we see anything about faith. They literally are throwing themselves saying, I'm, I need to be healed. He's done healings and so he's just going to grant me this. So we've already talked about the fact that crowds can be unpredictable. Crowds can even be used for evil. How do we know that? Well, we've seen some things this week, didn't we? That which starts off as a, a peaceful protest moves into an ugly mob that has left destruction in their way. And a person loses their life. How do we know it? The crowd on that Palm Sunday were shouting, Hosanna, 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 and it's the same crowd within a week that are shouting what? Crucify him. And so in the midst of all that, Jesus calls for this boat. He, he says, you know, he doesn't want people to get crushed. He doesn't want people to die. He doesn't want his disciples to be harmed. And so we know that in verse 9, Mark is the only one who tells us this in the story. But Jesus has a plan, and he asks for the boat. And so the boat is set aside so that the crowds can listen to him, and they will not be crushed. Because Jesus, seeing the tyranny of the urgent, is still wanting to sit down and teach them about the kingdom. Though they are trying to touch him. Even though they chased him everywhere he went. Jesus still had compassion on them, compassion on the crowds. Even though they had a strained relationship, Jesus offers grace and teaching about the kingdom. He heals them, he does miracles, but here is the point. He gives them a choice. And so what we need to realize at the beginning of this new year is we all have a choice. As we said earlier about this individual choice, what are we going to do in 2021? Will this be the year that we will decide to accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior? Will this be the year that some of us will make a new, fresh recommitment to Christ? Because I don't care what happened 8, 10, 20 years ago. Where are you today with Jesus? That's what's important. Where are you today in your relationship? With Jesus. People would come in to him for healing, and yet he would say to people, Your sins, you know it, your sins have been forgiven. And they would say, Well, why would he say that? Only God can do that. Because ultimately, Jesus is concerned about you today, and he's concerned about your loved ones, and he's concerned about your health. And he's concerned about your emotional well-being. And he's concerned that you're having a rotten time with this pandemic. He's concerned about all of those things. And I bring all my needs and concerns to him. Every little one. Because I believe he cares for me. But the greatest concern that Jesus has first is for your soul. Amen. 
Because only then can he have that deep relationship with you that will last for eternity. This life will be over. There will come a day when this body will have to be laid down, like all those loved ones that have gone ahead of me will be laid down, and it will be my relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for eternity. And so he can heal me, like we say about Lazarus. Okay, so he was risen from the dead. Hallelujah, that's great. But what happened later? He still had to die. <laughs> and, so, and so we see there's this first choice where Jesus always says to me, and what Mark wants you to come to, who is Jesus to you? I pray he's your Lord and Savior. I pray that you've nailed it down. I pray that you can look at the date that you said, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. And my eyes have been opened. And I've seen you all my own mess in my soul. And I ask you to come in and cleanse house. And forgive me. And become my Lord and King and Savior. Amen. I pray you've nailed that down. Because Jesus said to people, go and sin no more. When people came and had a personal encounter with him. But there's also another choice, and I believe this is the choice for most of us today because we've settled the other question. Jesus says, come follow me. That's what we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, the chapters ahead. Come follow me. Because the truth that you've heard is said in Christian, and we've been talking about this for a while, Jesus does not need fans. He needs followers. Are you a follower of Jesus or just a fan? How can you tell the difference? The dictionary defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. Did you get that? Fans, someone said, are fans good? Sure. We're all fans of certain teams. So to go there? No, we won't go there. Fans of things, enthusiastic admirers. Everyone wants fans. We want other people to admire us. It's not that being a fan is bad in itself, but for Jesus, it's not enough. For Jesus, a fan, a mere fan, is not going to usher in his kingdom. For Jesus, a fan is not going to change the world. What he's looking for are followers. Someone said, you know, wouldn't it be neat if Jesus had a Facebook page? I'm sure if Jesus had a Facebook page, he'd have a lot of likes. <laughs> and then somebody actually checked it out. I'm sure there's more than one. But Jesus does have one Facebook page, and there's 3,184,613 uh, people who like him. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> oh, my friends. Jesus is looking so much more than just people who admire him, who are just fans. The crowds appeared, and they were just fans. But you know what happens with every crowd? There comes a point the crowd has to go home. The crowds begin to disappear. And every one of those individuals that were part of the crowd need to make a decision, what am I going to do with Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Do you know, in other Gospels, we're told that Jesus begins to talk about uh, the fact that unless people eat his flesh and drink his blood, they have no part of him. 
They were coming to him looking for a sign. They were looking for a miracle. <clears throat> they were saying, well, Moses gave the manna from heaven. And Jesus says, it wasn't Moses who gave you manna. It was God, your father, that gave you manna. And then he talks about his uh, body and his blood, that they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, talking about the beautiful table of communion and, and his sacrifice that he's going to make for people on the cross. And, and they don't get it. He talks about being the bread of life to them. And you know, it's interesting, they still don't get it. And it says in the gospel there that at that moment, many deserted him. See, the crowds will leave when it gets difficult. When the teaching gets tough. Then he looked at his disciples. And, you know, Peter basically says, but Lord, where would we go? Because he asked them, and they're going to leave him too. And we'll see as you move through the Gospels, as you get closer and closer to the cross, as people continue to want to kill him and plot against him, Jesus won't have too many crowds around him. It will be instead those that have been trying to kill him. My friends, fans are fickle. Followers are faithful. Fans are in it for them. Followers are in it for God. Fans want the goodies. <laughs> Followers want Jesus. The crowd wanted healing. Jesus wanted to give him himself in the kingdom. See, you know you're a fan when it's really about you. Getting what you want. About your needs. Your wishes. Your wants. Your desires. Why can't we have this? Why aren't we doing that? What about that song? Why is this thing? Why can't we have this? Oh, I'm going to go to the church down the road because they got that ministry, but this church doesn't. Oh, God, help the church. We've been through that already in the 80s and the 90s where the church was supposed to sell you everything. And keep your family happy and then you'd stay. God, help the church. It's never been about that. That's a bunch of admirers. That's a bunch of fans. That's a crowd mindset. What Jesus is looking for and continuing to look for are followers of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants and needs. In order for the kingdom to be ushered and move forward, even in a pandemic, he is looking for followers, not a crowd. And you know you're a fan if it's all about you and your needs and your wishes and your wants. followers about God. What does God desire? What's his wishes? See, my friends, there's a big difference about making a decision for Christ and following Christ. Now hear me right. That decision has to be made. We talked about that. A decision for Christ has to be nailed down. There has to come a point when we know that he is our Lord and Savior. I've tried to make that clear already this morning. But unfortunately, the church often has left it at that. Well, praise God. Got my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I'm on my way to heaven. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter if I don't do anything. Doesn't matter if I obey God or not. That's it. Hallelujah. I'm in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, praise God, your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, but we believe that you better hope it stays in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that comes through a life of obedience. 
And him being your Lord and Savior and your King. And you are willing to follow him and obey him. I don't know when somebody steps out of the faith. I don't know when they walk away from the Lord. Like, when is that moment? But I do believe that every time God is telling you to do something and you're saying no, I believe you're beginning to turn from his will and purpose for your life. So God is not just needing more decisions. It starts there. But as we're following the king in the book of Mark, what God is looking for are followers. When he says to us, as the church of Jesus Christ, when he says to us, as the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene, come follow me. And so I want to challenge you today. It's time for that DTR. It's that time to define our relationship with Jesus. And we can come as a church and gauge what we're doing by who's here and who isn't here on a Sunday. What's the numbers on our list? And we've never been so concerned about numbers because we have to make sure we're 50-50. <laughs> and I mean, that's important. But that is not what's going to change the world. That is not what's going to change West Prince. It's going to be those who are committed that are here that are followers of that have said, you know what, Pastor? You know what, fellow sister and brother in the Lord? I am wholeheartedly going to follow Jesus in 2021. Amen. And I know it's not always going to be easy. And I know he's going to ask me to do things that sometimes pushes me out of my comfort zone. But my desire is to say yes to him. Amen. And not to hear what everybody else is saying. You don't need to worry about that. What you're saying is yes to him. I end with this story. Worship team can come. <clears throat> I thought this was a cute little story. A man named Charlie Moore moved into a new community with his family. And he wanted to make friends. So he joined the local softball league. In the opening game, Charlie took his family to the park and went to join his team. And Charlie got up to bat and he set his feet square and his shoulders squared. And he, as the ball came, he swung at the bat and he missed it by a knot. The crowd groaned. But one voice could be heard over the den of people. You can do it, Mr. Moore. The second pitch came and again he swung widely and missed it, and again the voice could be heard above the crowd. You can do it, Mr. Moore. The third pitch swung again, and the voice cried out, that's okay, Mr. Moore. When the game was over, the family got into their cars, and as they made their way down the road, Dad turned to his son and said, was that you that called out, you can do it, Mr. Moore? When the son admitted that it was indeed his voice, Dad said, I appreciated all your encouragement, but I wondered why you said, you can do it, Mr. Moore. Why did you call me Mr. Moore and not Dad? Well, the boy said, I didn't want anyone to know I was related to you. <laughs> Funny story. Hopefully you get the message. We can be encouraging on the sidelines. We can be admirers of Christ. We can say, oh, to even brothers and sisters in Christ, you continue to do that. That's great. 
but we don't want anyone to know that we're related to each other or more importantly related to him. I think it's time, we've said it many times over the years, but I think it's time to pin our colors to the mask. It's time to say who we are, who we belong to. We know who Jesus is, and we know who he is to us. He's our Lord and Savior. I pray he is. But more importantly, he is my King and my Lord. And I plan this year to follow him. I don't know what this year holds. I don't know what challenges I'm going to have. But it is my desire today that I might follow him. I pray that's your desire too. Let's